Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is Tyler Schultz. He is the grandson of former Secretary of State George Schultz and is commonly labeled a whistleblower for helping bring awareness to the unethical and outright bad things that happened behind the scenes at the health technology company Theranos. In a new podcast series that's now out on Audible called Thicker Than Water, Tyler opens up and tells his side of the Theranos story. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, or Tyler, here's a quick primer. Theranos promised to revolutionize blood testing to allow hundreds of tests to be run in a matter of hours with just a small amount of blood, something that to this day is impossible to do. At its peak, Theranos had an estimated evaluation of $9 billion. Tyler's grandfather was one of the company's biggest champions, and the CEO and founder of Theranos was Elizabeth Holmes, who modeled herself after Steve Jobs down to wearing black turtlenecks every day. Tyler worked his way up from being an intern there to a full-time employee, learning over time that the highly secretive blood testing device didn't do any of the things Holmes promised. And yet Holmes sold it to Walgreens where actual people with actual medical issues were tested and the results were horrible. And during all this, Holmes was dating the president and COO of Theranos. Tyler was one of the first people to expose what was going on at Theranos, which was at odds with the hyped reality presented by Holmes. Ultimately, Theranos collapsed, Holmes is awaiting trial, and Tyler is here with me to talk about it all. Okay, wow. Okay, so uh, Tyler, uh, we're going to definitely talk about this Audible series, but I just want to, before we jump in, um, it's kind of the ubiquitous question we ask these days. How are you and your family handling everything going on with COVID-19? I think we're handling it very well, actually. You know, everyone in my family is safe and healthy. Um, you know, I'm I'm living in San Francisco, luckily pretty close to Golden Gate Park, so I get to go out and see some green spaces, you know, pretty easily. <laughs> um, my grandparents are also doing doing well. They're living at their house in Palo Alto. Um, but I think just like everyone else, we're getting a little stir crazy, but like, you know, nothing nothing out of the ordinary. Everyone everyone's healthy and, and doing well. Have you like fallen into any of the trends of being at home? Like watching Tiger King or making sourdough start or anything like that? Oh, man. Yeah, we've been through all the phases. We had the Tiger King phase. Um, I went through a sourdough starter phase. We had the paint by numbers phase. I had the car playing <laughs> phase. Um, we're in the middle of a, of a Catan phase right now, actually. Oh, um, that sounds kind of fun, actually. Yeah, so yeah, we've been in and out of all, all the phases. Okay, so let's just get to the point here. Um, you have a new series on Audible uh, called Thicker Than Water. And um, I guess the first question, I want to say I got to listen to half of it, and it's so compelling. I, it's, You know, we always hear like people like NPR say, like, you know, it's driveway moments. Since we're all indoors, it's kind of like I leave the speaker playing whatever room I'm in so I can, I yeah. can continue listening to it. It's very compelling. But let's say that someone has never heard of Theranos or Elizabeth Holmes or your grandfather. How would you explain to them the story and why so many people are interested in it? Well, I think it's an interesting story because it really fits into this um, almost like a post-truth world that we're kind of moving towards where everyone just got caught up in this enormous hype. This company that really didn't have anything ended up with a valuation of $9 billion. Um, 
And yeah, it's just, you know, a kind of like a classic story of people believing in a charismatic leader and not asking the right questions and just believing what they wanted to believe um, without really doing due diligence and looking at facts and, and things like that. And it's really, um, I think, a cautionary tale. <laughs> and then obviously, um, I think a lot of us kind of got to know you through a lot of the media that was coming out of the past years surrounding um, kind of the fall, especially Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Um, you've been featured on HBO, ABC, The Wall Street Journal. Um, how is this? How is the story you tell in this series different than the, maybe what we've heard before? Yeah, so actually, I think it is very different. So in the past, you know, I've, I've worked with John Carreyrou uh, for his reporting in the Wall Street Journal, and then he also published a book called Bad Blood. And then I worked with Alex Gibney and HBO on a documentary. Um, and in in both of those cases, you know, I, I do feel like I it was great to work with really good storytellers, people who could go out there and tell my story for me in a really compelling way. But this was an opportunity for me to tell my own story in my own voice. And I, I would say that, you know, when I read about myself in a newspaper or in a book or something like that, it very much feels like I'm reading about a character in a book. And even though all the facts can be technically true, it still doesn't feel like me somehow. Like, it just feels like a character. And I think that doing this Audible is a version of the story where it really does feel like me. And I think the listener gets a really good point of view as to how it felt as I was going through these things, you know, how my relationship with my parents and my grandparents and my friends, um, you know, was kind of evolving throughout this and really how lonely it, it was. Um, and it's almost like that I'm, it's almost like I'm just sitting down at like a bar and telling one of my friends the story. Um, and so we kind of just did that, you know, I sat down with some of these audible producers and I just started telling my story and, and they started asking questions and then we kind of pieced it together. So it feels really kind of raw and authentic. And, and I really like that about it. Yeah. There's a, there's a genuineness that comes through. And I think that's one of the more compelling aspects. The story itself is almost ridiculous. And it's, it's just way, I'm sure there's going to be a movie of this at some point, which we'll talk about, but I, I wonder too, like uh, you talk about being, you have producers, uh, are you guys in a studio? I mean, it just seems so not chill, but it just doesn't seem, I don't want to sound like it make it's very professional, but it sounds very genuine. Like you said, you're just hanging out. Like, how did that go about in the recording of it? Yeah. So, I mean, we recorded all of it except for the acknowledgments, you know, before COVID. So <laughs> we, you know, I essentially sat down in a really small, like, um, studio on the Stanford campus, actually. Um, yeah. And, ju and just had a, a microphone in front of me and just started talking. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's really how it, how it happened. I just started talking and they were asking questions. And then um, I do think it was great actually telling it to somebody because I could kind of like feed off the reaction a little bit like that. You know, I'm not that funny, but I do tell a few jokes. And, you know, if you're just telling a joke, it's going to be very different than if you're at least telling a joke to one other person, you know? Well, and I think that's maybe different than like, uh, I mean, again, like the HBO doc is excellent, the ABC stuff especially the Wall Street Journal stories. But uh, you talk about your, you talk about meeting Elizabeth Holmes um, when she was first pitching your grandfather. Right. And I guess when you think back to those first impressions back then versus everything that happens now, how do you kind of find that peace of mind for yourself now? Well, you know, I really, it's kind of funny. I don't really think about Elizabeth very often at all. 
Um, you know, really, it's only if I'm on a podcast or maybe um, telling my story somewhere. But aside from that, you know, I've I've mostly moved on, and I know I don't really um, think about Elizabeth all that much. So I guess that's kind of where I've I've found my peace of mind. But I think kind of what you're getting at is like who who is Elizabeth Holmes? Because the person she was when I first met her is very different than the person she is today. You know, when I first met her, she only wore black turtlenecks. She only you know, she had a very strict diet. She never touched alcohol. She supposedly only slept four hours a day and, and you know, essentially lived at, at Theranos. And now um, she's she's married to a, a, a relatively young, very wealthy man. They go to Burning Man together. They throw parties in San Francisco. Um, so it's like, who who is Elizabeth Holmes? And I have no idea. You know, I thought I knew who she was for a long time. And now she seems like she's a completely transformed person. No, I think that that's a good way of kind of maybe abridging my awkward question there. But I would also wonder, like, uh, you've transformed quite a bit, too, from the time, I mean, you were coming out of college, essentially, and uh, into being an adult. And I'm wondering, when you look back at the transformation you underwent throughout the story, uh, you know, what pops out to you? What stands out to you? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I mean, I was I was so naive, and it's kind of funny because when I on my last day of Theranos, you know, I left on pretty bad terms. The president, Sonny, essentially in a scathing email, called me arrogant, ignorant, patronizing, and reckless. And looking back, I think he was actually right about a lot of those things. Um, you know, I was arrogant. <laughs> think that you know like a 20 you know when I worked there I was like 22 23 years old so to think that like a 23 year old kid essentially is going to be able to stand up against a company valued at nine billion dollars is arrogant it is naive it is reckless um so it's kind of funny that I I look back on who I was when I first met Elizabeth and when I first worked at Theranos and um I am a very different person. I had to grow up really fast there, for better or worse. Um, but in the same, and at the same time, I think in a lot of ways, I am still, um, I am still the same person. And I'm, I'm returning a little bit more to the person I was before Theranos because I'd also say that before I worked at Theranos, I was a very fun-loving, outgoing, carefree kind of person, and then that piece of me was kind of, uh, kind of died. Um, and it's just, it's taken a little bit of time for that to, to come back. Let me back up this a little bit here. For those who may not be familiar kind of what Theranos was, the idea was that it was going to be this revolutionary blood test for an oversimplification of what's going on. Uh, and they could use a very small, small amount of blood. Uh, to run uh, multiple tests that require a lot more blood, essentially. Uh, but what was going on was that's not exact. They didn't have it figured out at the time, or they haven't had it figured out since. Um, and it turned out to be there was a lot of fraud going on and all that. Is that an accurate way of kind of describing this in a in a nutshell? Um, yeah. So I, I would say that the the pitch was that anything that you could do in a central laboratory, you could do in a finger prick at Walgreens and you would get the results within four hours. Um, and, and really beyond that as well, you know, she, she said that these were, you know, these could be put in medevac helicopters and in operating rooms. Um, 
So it sounded like a technology that really had no limits. And in reality, there was it was just a slight tweak of technology that already existed. They couldn't do any of these things. They could really only run one test at a time. And the tests that they were running didn't even really work that well. I think what's also compelling about the story is you want to believe that a product like this could be made or um, a breakthrough like this could be made. Because especially looking at what's going on in our world now, being able to have an amazing amount of test results given to you in four hours on your phone it seems very appealing. Um, and I think that's something that really comes across in Thicker Than Water is the people you're working with, for especially in the labs, they just seem very genuine. They seem hardworking. And then there's this other culture that is kind of manipulative and fraudulent. And I'm wondering, do you ever think like, this is still a good idea? Yeah, I mean, the idea is fantastic, you know, <laughs> to be able to, you know, diagnose hundreds of different diseases or conditions or, um, you know, measurements from a single drop of blood is is an incredible idea. It's extremely hard to do. And that's why no one's been able to do it. Eventually, I think we will live in a world where that is possible. And it is something that is is worth pursuing. But maybe not in the exact same way that that Theranos was going about it. I think it will probably have a different manifestation. You know, one of the really sad or disappointing things about this story is that when they started really fighting back against the Wall Street Journal and you know, they still probably had hundreds of millions of dollars in their bank account. They could have still pivoted. You know, they they easily could have addressed the issues, said, yeah, we, we messed up. They could have, you know, made things right with the people who they had hurt. They could have settled their their legal disputes and they could have moved on. But instead, they dug in and just burned the rest of their money. But really, I do think that there were opportunities where they could have pivoted. They could have acquired other companies. They could have started smaller and grown. And I think one of the big problems was that they were trying to upend the entire laboratory diagnostics industry in one fell swoop. You know, they wanted to put Quest and LabCorp out of business. They wanted to just take all of their business right away. And I think it would have made a lot more sense to do one thing very well. Just get one test to work really well, get it to work where, where it would matter, and then have some success there and grow a little bit more slowly. And I don't, I don't know exactly what that would have looked like. Maybe it was... You know, I know we were working on like an FTD panel, so maybe they could have just done an HIV test and just had one really good HIV test that worked well in a Walgreens. And if they just kept it small, maybe they would have been able to um, succeed and grow a little bit more slowly. <laughs> well, and I also wonder, do you think some of that is just the, the, like the politics and the culture of Silicon Valley as someone who grew up here? Everyone wants the moonshot idea. No one wants the the ceiling. You know, no one no one wants to do one thing. You know, one small thing well and slowly grow. You know, everyone wants to to be that moonshot. I, I do think that that could be part of it. And in some cases, you know, there are a lot of success stories out of Silicon Valley. A lot of you know tech or or other companies have done the moonshots and they they've worked and they've changed industries. I don't I don't know if the same kind of Silicon Valley mindset is the best one for addressing issues in healthcare. Yeah, I, I kind of get that from just the like the thematic takeaway from all these different reportings of the story that that's part that's part of it there. During thicker than water, at one point you mentioned that you were sleeping with a knife next to your bed. I'm wondering when did the fear go away of like retaliation or that something might happen to you? The 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 fear kind of went away pretty slowly. And I don't know exactly when that fear went away, but 
in some ways, it still hasn't completely disappeared. And with this Audible release coming up, you know, there's still that feeling kind of in my gut or in the back of my mind that there is a chance that maybe David Boys will sue me for something. So the fear hasn't completely disappeared, but I'm definitely not sleeping with a knife next to my bed anymore. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, how do you cope with when like these feelings that are popping up? Is there like things you do, writing, meditation, exercise? How do you cope with that? Probably exercise is the best way for me to cope with it or, or playing music. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I feel like for a long time, my mental health and physical health were pretty inversely correlated. Like when my mental health would get bad, my physical health would get super good and I could just go out and run <laughs> four miles out in the mountains. And then when my mental health gets better, then I, I don't exercise as much and my physical health kind of kind of deteriorates. Um, but right now, I, I feel like I, I'm pretty good in, in both categories. But yeah, when I, when I do get stressed out about things, I, I do like to go out and run or sit down and just, you know, play music. And I'm wondering, um, obviously, like the word whistleblower is like the third part of your name, I feel. Um, what, does that, what does that word mean to you nowadays? Yeah, it still feels kind of weird, you know, because I never, I never really thought of myself as a whistleblower. You know, when I was working at Theranos, when I was talking to the Wall Street Journal, even when I was reaching out to the government, I never really thought, like, I am a whistleblower who is exposing a fraud here. It was more, I was coming at it with the mindset of something is wrong, and I need to figure out what to do about it. And I need to, you know, talk to the government and see if they say it's okay. And I need to or I need to talk to this reporter and he can corroborate things and go investigate. I wasn't really thinking of it as blowing the whistle, really. Um, so it's a term that I was initially kind of uncomfortable with, but now I've, I've you know, kind of gotten used to it. <laughs> um, at, at one point during the series, you talk about being defeated and you're, um, you're going to a birthday party that your grandfather is throwing for Elizabeth. I think it's her 30th birthday, which I'm going to leave that alone. But uh, uh, it's her 30th birthday, and she's there. Sonny's there. Your grandfather's there. Um, and behind the scenes at Theranos, things aren't going really well. Like the tests aren't working. There's a public and private version. The public version is that things are still hopeful and great. The private things are things are kind of starting to fall apart and not go too well at Theranos. And I'm wondering, at that party, did you ever wonder if she wondered how you were dealing with it because in a weird way you know what's going on behind there and you're also having to put on a public face just like she is yeah that's true and i think that's part of the reason why i really didn't want to go to that party you know i i was expected to go there and really say how great theranos and elizabeth was to my grandparents and, and to other board members and i just really didn't want to have to do that and <laughs> You know, I, I even wrote a song about Elizabeth and Theranos that I was expected to play, and I just so badly didn't want to have to play that song. So I tried to get out <laughs> of the birthday party, but I somehow couldn't weasel my way out of it, so I ended up going. Um, but yeah, it didn't feel good because I just had to go and, and sit over dinner and talk to the board members about how wonderful it was to work at Theranos. It was, yeah, it just was not not a good feeling. And then I'm wondering now, like, obviously your grandfather, uh, I feel like you could just do a whole Audible series about him, by the way. I would I would listen to that, him and you. That would be great. But I'm wondering, what is your relationship like with him now? Uh, you know, now it's pretty much gone, you know, to some version of a new normal. Um, you know, he, he now understands that 
Elizabeth was lying to him and that Theranos was a fraud and that I was right from the beginning. And, and, and he's acknowledged that he and he would have been, and Theranos would have been better off if they had listened to me back in 2014. Um, so finally, at least we share that view of the world. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was, there was some real damage done there. And, and, and so now we pretty much don't, we don't really talk about it. We don't talk about Theranos ever. And I'll occasionally go over to his house for a lunch or dinner or something like that. But actually, I, I haven't seen him since all the sheltering in place and stuff. You know, I don't want to be the one who accidentally brings in COVID. Yes, that would be a bad. <laughs> that would be a very bad thing. Uh, well, I'm wondering too. Like, is as has he heard any of the series yet? Does he know about the series coming out? Mm, as far as I know, he's unaware of it as of right now. Um, so that's actually another another reason why I'm a little bit anxious about its release on August 5th is because, you know, I do feel like we've kind of put this behind us and doing this Audible kind of just drags it all up again. Yeah, I don't know. On the, on the one hand, you know, I really do want to be able to tell my story in my own vo- voice and all that. But on the other hand, I do just want to move on. So I, I myself am kind of caught in a little bit of a, of a tension there, but I've obviously decided that I'm going to do it. So that's happening. So recently, there's been murmurs that Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny's trial will be delayed until even maybe 2021 because of COVID-19. Are you, do you follow that at all? Or is it something where it's just kind of background noise? You know, I, I follow it a little bit. Um, I actually just, just learned that that it was delayed again either yesterday or the day before I forget but I I recently just found that out and you know I just want it to be over (laughs) I'm ready (laughs) the original trial date was supposed to be um I think on August 5th and it just keeps getting pushed there may have even been an original date that was even before August 5th but it just keeps getting pushed and pushed and I really would just I just want it to be over and in a lot of ways, I don't even really care what the like what the repercussions are for Elizabeth. I just would rather it be be done with. All right, my final question about this, and then we'll move on to some other things, is if there's a Hollywood version of this story made, who do you want to play you? Uh <laughs> I don't know. I've been I've been saying Jonah Hill. <laughs> That's great. I would love Jonah Hill to play me. <laughs> How come? Like, what is it about Jonah Hill that is that would capture you well? Uh, I don't know. I just I just like him as an actor, and I think he would. So I, so part of it is I know that any Hollywood version of this is not going to actually. It's not gonna kind of like the book and the documentary. It's not gonna actually feel like what it felt like in real life. I almost would prefer to have like a little bit of a like of a distance between who I am and who the character plays me is. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think Jonah Hill would be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be for that. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so pivoting a little bit here. So the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I'm wondering, what are you currently so obsessed with? Right now, I am obsessed with urine. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll just cut the podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, um, follow up would be why? <laughs> why? Yeah, great question. Why? Um, so the company that I started with one of my professors at Stanford is doing something pretty close to what Theranos was trying to do. We have these magnetic biosensors that can 
um, measure multiple biomarkers at the same time in point of care settings. So it kind of has a lot of the same promise that Theranos did, but we're going about it in a completely different way. You know, we have over 15 years of papers and patents published and filed on the technology. We're trying to start with small markets that we can succeed in and grow from there. And actually that first small market that we're focusing on is measuring female fertility hormones in urine. And right now is actually a pretty exciting time for us because we're doing our first human study. We initially had a collaborator at a university to work with us on this, but since everything shut down, their research has kind of stopped and we just decided to, to go ahead and do it ourselves. So I actually spend probably the first three hours of my day every morning driving around San Francisco, picking up urine samples from women and driving them back to our lab where we're testing these fertility hormones. So um, right now, I guess you could say I'm obsessed with urine and, and measuring things in urine and it's going well so far. So we're really excited about that. <laughs> I honestly can say out of everyone I've interviewed, that is the first time that answer has been said. So, <laughs> yeah, I I would hope so yeah. well, I, I wondered, um, uh, with, um, oh man, uh, I had another question, but I'm wondering too, what's the name of this company? Uh, so the name of our company is Flux Biosciences. It's a pretty nerdy name um, because flux is the measurement of a magnetic field through an area. <laughs> so most people don't really get that reference, uh, but a lot of people think like flux capacitor or something like that. I say, is there a dress code uh, at Flux where you're not allowed to wear black turtlenecks? Is that a policy? <laughs> We have a Black Neck Friday policy. You can only wear your Friday. <laughs> I love it. And the last thing I want to talk before wrapping up real quick is in May, you wrote a Medium post titled, Theranos would be thriving in the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you explain um, kind of what that is for people who haven't read it? Yeah, definitely. So kind of in a nutshell, you know, the, the conditions that allowed Theranos to grow and thrive for a while really remind me of the conditions that exist in the world today, where there's a lot of money being poured into diagnostics, a lot of attention on diagnostics, obviously, not a whole lot of oversight. And, you know, at the, the FDA has their hands more than full. I, I trust me on that one. Um, and, you know, the FDA doesn't want to be the stifler of innovation. They want new technologies and new, you know, new things to come out. But at the same time, they need to keep people safe. So, They've been doing their best to, to strike a right balance, but it's been a tough one. If you wanted to commit fraud, especially in diagnostics, now would be a really good time to do it. There's not a whole lot of oversight. There's a lot of corners that are being cut. And and also, you know, the thing with diagnostics is you the end consumer really has no idea if if the test worked or not. You know, they don't know if they're getting a quality product. So, you know, you could go get your blood drawn and then someone could flip a coin in the next room. And if it's heads, they say you have antibodies. If it's tails, they say you don't. And you would never know the difference. Um, so you, you really do have to rely on third-party validation and the FDA and, and regulatory bodies to get involved and, and make sure these tests are accurate. But yeah, I think if Theranos existed right now, they would be selling a lot of tests. And I am not confident that those tests would be working. But I think they would be making a lot of money right now if they existed. Well, and then you you wrote that in May, and now it's we're recording this at the end of July, and obviously I think the last couple of weeks we hear every every sounds like every day there's like a new company is getting ready to go into uh, human testing with a vaccine or something like that. I'm wondering, has your outlook changed at all since May? So yeah, my my outlook has changed a bit since May, and 
specifically on the diagnostic side, you know, I wrote that article to really outline how loose the regulations were and how easy it would be to market a, a bad test or a test that didn't work. And actually, since then, the FDA has really cracked down and has removed, I th- last time I checked, it was like 80% of the products available for antibody testing have now been removed from the market, which is an enormous amount of products. Um, it's really astounding with um, how involved the FDA has gotten. And they've actually started publishing very publicly the results of the company's validation tests, which as far as I know, the, the FDA has never done that before like made that information so publicly and readily available. And the FDA has also started doing independent third-party validation of those tests. So I think the FDA has actually done a lot to, to make sure that these tests are working. And so th- in that sense, things have changed a lot since May. And then on the vaccine front, I'm not all that familiar with what is happening in the vaccine world. But again, I think a lot of those, the same conditions that would have allowed a Theranos to thrive would allow a faulty, potentially, you know, a faulty vaccine to thrive. There, again, there's a lot of government money. There's a lot of money being poured into the development of vaccines right now. So I, I think there is also room for fraud. And it's something that, you know, the science will be expedited. And so, you know, it's possible that corners will be cut. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a scary a scary time. And I really hope that the scientific community really, really looks at COVID-19 as an opportunity to gain the trust of the public and to do good science and to produce a high quality vaccine that, you know, really saves us. Because I think the opposite could happen. I think there could be fraudulent companies. I could see us spend, you know, billions and billions of dollars on a vaccine that doesn't work or has bad side effects or something like that. So I hope the scientific community really doesn't let us down here. And I'd like to wrap up, I do a thing called pick one and I give you two choices and you pick one. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. Um, and you're more than welcome to talk it out. So let's play pick one. If that sounds good. Okay. That sounds fun. <laughs> okay. So the first one is, and I hope I get this right. Steve jobs or Robin Coombs. So Robin Coombs, uh, is the founder of the Coombs blood test, which is one of the tests, earlier tests of blood in the early 1900s. Okay. I like that one. I'll go Robin Coombs. <laughs> uh, all right, next one. Lamborghini or the Flintstones car? Uh, I'm going to go Flintstone car. And for people who are wondering why you made that comparison, you make a great analogy in your series comparing <laughs> the <laughs> the machine advertised like a Lamborghini, but when it arrives, it's a Flintstone car. Yeah. Um, Next one, iPhone or Android? I hate to admit it almost, but I got to choose the iPhone. I think I think uh, you're not in, uh, you, you won't be lonely with that answer. Um, San Francisco Giants or Oakland Athletics? Giants. Whoa, okay, I guess that makes sense because you're, you know, you're, you guys spent time here. Yeah, we, where you live. actually our office right now is maybe one block away from the Giants Stadium. So kind of on my walk home, you know, I could go and, and, and check the tickets online. Sometimes the tickets would be like less than $2 and I could just buy a ticket and walk into the game, grab a hot dog <laughs> for a little while and then continue walking home. Those are the days before COVID. Those are nice. Oh, uh, yeah, I missed that. Yeah. Oh, I got one more here for you. This is a good one to end on. Jonah Hill in Superbad or Jonah Hill in 21 Jump Street? 
Oh, two great choices. <laughs> I'll go Jonah Hill super bad. All right. Well, uh, Tyler, I just want to thank you for taking time to talk with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was fun. I want to thank Tyler for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And until next week, take care.